Disclaimer. This episode of the Dub Talk Podcast may contain language and situations that may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This episode also contains major spoilers for the first season of Radiant, as well as details from Season 2 and beyond. Please be advised as you listen. And as always, the views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Uh, okay, I, I don't want to alarm anybody, but I think a stray cat got into the building and... Yeah, subs are better than dubs! Yeah. Ah, damn it, it's a weeb cat! Get out, weeb cat, or I'll call the pound! Yeah, start JoJo's from Parts 1 or you're a scrub! Yeah. Weeb cat, no! Don't you have neighborhood dogs to harass with your tepid takes? Yeah, it's Boku no Hero Academia. Yeah. Uh, Alright, everybody enjoy the episode. I, I I got a few phone calls I have to make. You'll never be rid of me, Rootsy Boy. Yeah. I'll get you to watch the cinematic masterpiece of Raymo if it costs me one of my nine lives. Yeah. Holy shit, I got that done in one take. Bonjour, listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about the latest and greatest in anime dubs and voiceover. Uh, today, we are finally doing an episode that I have promised I would get done two years ago. Uh, tonight, we're going to be covering Radiant, the... 42 episode sh- Shonen-esque series based on a Monfra. Monfra? Uh, Monfra? <laughs> what word is this? Uh, written by written by French author Tony Valenti. <clears throat> That's right, folks. We are talking about an anime made by a French creator today. Monfra? Isn't that that giant moth that fights Godzilla all the time? No, that's Mothra. <laughs> uh, this is clearly this is, I, I this is clearly like some Mon- sort of Star Wars prequel manga. Honestly, Monfra sounds like the last name of like an '80s prog rock drummer. <laughs> Billy wait, Monfra. What's, wait, what's the what's the guy in Magma's name? Is that his name? No, it's like Xander or something. Never mind. You're not wrong though. Featuring avant-garde drummer Steve Monfra. Oh, Steve's way too normal to name. You need something more weird. Gerald, there we go. Gerald Monfra. Francois Monfra. Jean-Pierre Monfra. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The plot of of Radiant, as described by Anime News Network... Uh, Seth is a boy who seeks to become a great magician and a group of witches who seek to travel to the Radiant. Radiant is a mythical land that spawns monsters known as Nemeses, which fall to the world from the sky. While traveling, they are also hunted by the Inquisition. That is not very descriptive, ANN. <laughs> basically, oh, the show 
basically the show is what would happen if you took your typical magic shonen like fairy tale or black clover or or something like that based around wizards and sorcerers and basically turned it into the x-men yeah mm-hmm. it's, not a, it's actually a good not description a comparison yeah yeah with lots of we try not to get political on this on this show. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to avoid it at all this time. No. No. It's basically the same story of... Politics and anime? What are you talking about? Oh, oh it's, 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 it's yeah. even worse. These people hate acknowledging Japanese politics. French politics? Their heads will explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll try to keep it to a minimum, just for everyone out there, but I don't think we're going to be able to avoid it entirely. So, no. Yeah. Also, and just as a disclaimer, um, since the three of us really don't want to be here all night, um, we will only be covering the first 21 episodes that comprise the first season. Uh, this is a 42-episode show in total, released... Um, 2018 to 2019, and then 2019 to 2020, we're just going to be covering the 2018 to 2019 part. For the sake of brevity. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Some of us have to be at work in the morning. Right. <laughs> Is that all of us? Yeah, basically Actually, all I three of us. tomorrow off. <laughs> oh, well, la-dee-da. <laughs> Look at me, <laughs> Mr. Gets Wednesdays off. Oh, good for you. <laughs> we have fun here. Speaking of work, the role of ADR director is a very difficult job, as well as that of the scriptwriter. And not to mention, narration can also be a bit of a chore. Um, so we have a bunch of people who are doing that for the show of Radiant. Uh, for our ADR direction staff, we have Caitlin Glass as the show's main director, but Monica Rial, Zach Bolton, and Sean Gann also provided assistance over the course of the series, mostly with episode 8. Uh, writing scripts for the series was Aaron Dismuke, and playing the narrator was Barry Endell. And yes, I'm lumping the narrator into this because... This isn't like a David Wald, Mr. Tonegawa situation. Uh, I kind of consider it more of a a staffing thing. I I know it's complicated, but bear with me here. Uh, So, Caitlin Glass's directorial work, um, you would mainly know from stuff like Garo the Animation, the 2019 uh, Fruits Basket reboot, and the free franchise... Basically, from the movies into season three. Aaron Dismuke's script writing you would know from such shows as Fire Force, Tokyo Ghoul, and Nanbaka. And Barry Andell you would know as such roles as Zaruba from the Garu Animation franchise, Yoki in Full Metal Alchemist and FMA Brotherhood, and Mr. Tubon Clay in One Piece. So, who would like to go first? I'm on you go first. Alright. Now some of my powers of uh, memory, because I finished watching this, like, eight months ago? Ten months ago? Last last year? Jesus Christ. Wow, this weird, this year really has done a number of my sense of time. Anyways, um, that, uh, I 
I'm enjoying this dub. I, this, I think the staff has done a very nice job on this. Um, this is a fun show. This is a little bit of an odd show in places. Uh, but I think they've handled the adaptation really, really well. I think the writing feels very strong. It feels very true to what the show is going for. Uh, it's very funny in a lot of places. Uh, I think they have a good handle on just kind of the balance of like action and humor and drama that the show has. Uh, and even with having like a few directors in the mix, uh, and not just being Caitlin, I think they consistently get like a good, you know, straight tone across. Uh, what else? Yeah, no, this this is just like really well put together. Uh, there's a lot of things about this show that kind of obscure the fact that it's not technically adapted from a manga. Uh, even though, like, I've read a little bit of Radiant, and it's it's not really it's you know it's 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 leaning into that aspect of it pretty hard. Um, a lot of this feel, it feels very like true to like what you kind of feel of, like. Yes, this feels like something that could maybe run in Shonen Jump, or at least Shonen Sunday. Uh, and I I love it when Barry Yondell shows up in things. He's not cast enough as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he, he, Groots is right, he doesn't have as quite as much of a... He's not a show-off-y narrator. Uh, but he gives that nice little speech at the beginning of every episode, and it's a nice soothing voice to lead you into this world of uh, weird shenanigans and things blowing up and uh, Earthsat's Dragon Ball characters. Or just one Earthsat's Dragon Ball character, maybe. I haven't decided yet. You know, this is, this is just a nice, strong dub... Uh, this is one of these dubs for these shonen shows that I wish there were more outlets for anime on TV, or at least, like, more, like, like, broad stream, like, broad, widely used streaming services, I guess. This feels like something that is both very fun and also, like, really accessible. Like, I definitely, like, if this had been on, like, Toonami when I was, you know, 12, 15, whatever, like, I definitely would have watched this and thought, like, this is the, this is great, look at all this, this is fun, it's a little silly, uh, and the lady keeps trying to hit people, this is great, <laughs> give me more of this. Uh, I think it's, it's just, it's a, it's a nice fun show, and I think it, uh, balances a lot of its many aspects very well, as far as the dub goes. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Hardy? Yeah, um, one thing I really appreciated about this dub and the casting in particular is it sort of was the start of Caitlyn starting to cast more people of color in uh, in in her dubs, and um, right, yeah, even characters who technically look Caucasian. Uh, I think that it's great that she's giving them a chance to ba- to uh, show off their acting ability without the need of, say, a character being of a certain race. They're judging them directly by their vocal abilities. And that's one thing I really appreciated, because there are several characters in this show voiced by uh, people of color who are not necessarily characters of color. It's the thing I appreciated. Um but yeah, I just I think there are some mishaps here and there as far as the acting goes, but there's nothing offensive. When it's good, it's really good. Even when it's just okay, it's still pretty good. So I have no problems there on the on the um on the acting or directing part. Um I didn't really pay I don't really pay much attention to the writing. But uh, one thing I do appreciate, when we get to a certain character, how they speak 
uh, is almost entirely of cat puns. Mm-hmm. And if you know me, if you can pull off of a, like a, a really, really dumb pun really well, it'll it's it's just chef's kiss for me. So, mm-hmm. um, all in all, yeah, I mean, this was def. I agree with uh, I agree with Amon is that I could definitely see this running in something like say on Toonami or or not necessarily on like a Nick or 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 anything like that, but probably. Late late night Adult Swim sort of thing. It's 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 got that Saturday morning shown and jump sort of feel to it, like you get from your Naruto's and your Dragon Balls and stuff like that. But it's much more cohesive and doesn't try to stretch. The, it doesn't try to out war outlive its welcome. If that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 No, I really enjoyed both seasons of it. Um, yeah, but but that we'll get more on that on final thoughts. Oh, I um, I, I put Barry Yandel in here in this segment as well. Oh, right, right. Sorry, I've been told I do a very rather good Barry Yandel impression. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I think he's he's a, a lot of fun to listen to, and he's he doesn't have to uh, go into ham territory simply because he's the narrator but you hear him before every episode and i i really enjoy how he brings a sort of it's like listening to an old wizard as he tells you a story about things far back in the days of wizardry and weapons and magic and mysticism and dungeons and dragons and oh my and uh and lions and tigers and bears, but um, <laughs> bitch, what? Come out and say it. Say what you fucking mean. <laughs> You're always like I, I, you know, I, bitch, what? Fucking say it. Hardy, <laughs> you beautiful bastard. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, I always like Barry Yondell whenever he shows up. So yeah, it's he's it's not the biggest role. He's just a narrator, but he's it wouldn't be the same without him. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I I do have to agree with Hardy that casting a lot of actors of color, not just to play the roles of color, but scattered throughout the course of the show, I thought that was really refreshing. Uh, there may have been one or two casting misfires in that respect in terms of the show, but overall, I think it was a good effort put in. Um, I I do have to say, probably the biggest winner of this show is Aaron Dismuke's scripts. Now, I know adaptive script writing is more... is just as much sort of a free jam between the director and actor, but at the same time... Like, a, a base foundation is formed that they can basically riff off of. But I thought the scripts were very... They were very punchy and very kinetic. A lot of back and forth, a lot of banter. Everything was very snappy. Everything was very... It was very punchy. Um, the joke... 
The adapted jokes actually work very well in their own regard. And that is something... That is something very hard to do in straight comedic anime. So, seeing something like that in basically a... A shonen-esque series, it's great. I, I absolutely love the scripts of the show to death. And... I love Barry and Dell as the narrator as well. Uh, it has a bit of a... Like, it's not exactly a Teddy Ruxpin, but I feel like you could have easily put Barry Andell's narration onto, like, an audio cassette and stuck it in, like, the back of a Teddy Ruxpin-type doll, and it would have been just absolutely soothing. When I, when I was a kid, I had a little cassette tape that was, like, some old British dude reading, like, King Arthur stories, and I feel like Barry Youngdale has the same inflection that that dude did while he was, like, you know, reciting these things. Uh, there's something like, it's not like, like, not like fairy tale per se, but there's a very, like, old-timey fantasy narration aspect to what he's doing. Yeah. I thought that was absolutely wonderful, and... Basically, on the technical side, I think this was one of the most impeccable dubs produced in that calendar year of 2018. So, starting off with our first batch of characters, we have the denizens of the city of Artemis. Artemis is basically a city of, of wizards and mages. It's meant to be a safe haven so that they're not persecuted. Um, we have Master Lord Majesty, who is the ruler of Artemis. Uh, he's basically a little bipedal cat person. And he makes cat puns all the time. Um, we also have Melba and Pop. Melba runs a cafe in Artemis. And Pop is obviously her father. But the twist here is, Pop is also a hand puppet on Melba's hand. We Which don't raises know. Raises a lot of questions. We don't know it either. Yeah, we don't know why either. Someone like someone tried to. The ask. existence of Pop in Radiant is the embodiment of, in all caps, I have questions. Someone tried to get a wizard to try and explain it, and all that happened was he pulled out a little cassette tape and played a They Might Be Giant song about puppets and explained absolutely nothing. <laughs> No, in this case, a wizard really did do it, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. We'll figure it out later. Maybe. Uh, and then we also have Yaga, who is an ancient wizard who helps our main character, Seth, begin to understand how to use and utilize magic. Or in this... And also discovers that um, somebody... Uh, implied to be his other teacher, Alma, placed a whole crap ton of restrictions on his power. We should add that in this uh, in this show, uh, magic is known as Fantasia. Right. Uh, and basically, it it kind of functions like the Force in Star Wars, where it's a magical power that exists within all life and yada yada. Not that Medicorian shit. 
Ugh. No, no, nobody's born for midichlorians here. If you, if you want, if you want, if you want, if you want space Jesus, you have to go to a different property. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, in terms of the actors playing these roles, Master Lord Majesty is played by Sun Won Cho. Melba is played by Sakiwa Ba. Uh, Pop is played by Sunny Strait, and Yaga by Doug Jackson. Now, Sun Won Cho is probably more recognizable for his uh, his Vine videos from back in the day. Um, I know the um, the Household of Planes dating sim one was a personal favorite of mine. Um, but he's also done a lot of voice acting. Two roles in particular that I pulled up were uh, Flack in Borderlands 3 and Hyodo in the third season of Regretsuko. Uh, Sakiwa Ba, you would know as Kitari in Astro Lost in Space and Kojaku in Dr. Stone. Sunny Strait, you would know as Koro-sensei in Assassination Classroom and Maple in Shobai Rock. And Doug Jackson would be best known as Kotetsu Sirizawa in Star Blazers 2191. 2199. God, I, sh I feel like I'm blazing it right now. Hey, that's a callback to another episode we were all on. Yes, it is. This time I got munchies. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to fly the ship, but then I got high. <laughs> guys, guys, um, I, I I think I lost the spaceship again. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Dude, you're inside it. Oh. That's why it's so big in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also Nakanojo's father in Nichijou. Alright, so Amon, are you ready to provide opinion? Absolutely. Uh, let's start with Yaga. Uh, I enjoyed Doug Jackson. He is just a, a, what a, a fine example of your slightly annoying pint-sized mentor figure. Who has his heart in the right place, but you're probably going to want to punt him into the sun occasionally. Because, you know, he's so short and stubby. Don't you just want to pick up and pick up and strangle him when he's being an ass? It's uh, like Lucy in the football. It's it, it's just, it's he's the he's the perfect size. Who who's to say Malba did not put a put a put a whammy on him to make him so very very puntable? Uh, but I like Doug's performance as it a lot. I think he 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 captures that like authoritative but also kind of irritating vibe that I I you know this this sort of character rides on. Uh, I think he's very he's good, he's good at being entertaining, uh, but you know, Radiant is not a series without its dramatic moments, and I think when those moments do come, he is able to pull out like the pathos of the character, uh, and just sort of his you know feelings and concerns about where it's what Seth is doing with his life and what he's trying to accomplish exactly, and whether or not these are good ideas to begin with. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh. Melba and Pops. I find these two very entertaining. It's so weird. It it makes no sense. And I'm kind of hoping that they don't... This is not a plot point anyone feels the need to resolve. It's just like, 
Yeah, her dad's a ham puppet. Why? Cause. I don't know. It's, it's the writer thought it was funny. And he's been running with it ever since. Um, and this is this is definitely helped by uh, uh, Sakewa and uh, Sunny's performance. I think she is... Uh, Sakewa is just delightfully just bubbly and cheery and the right level of naive and just uh, so so very so very excited about everything and you know she wants to encourage doc with whatever it is he's up to no matter how shady it is uh and pop and sonny's just very good at being you know this very stern father figure who was he turned into a puppet did melba have some sort of psychotic break and is ventriloquizing this hand puppet we don't know we probably never will um but he's, it's just, it's, I find the image of this cute anime girl, like, you know, side-voicing Sunny Strait's voice out of this hand puppet very amusing in of itself. Uh, and, you know, it's Sunny Strait. Like, he's, he's, he's great in most things I've seen him in, frankly. Uh, just delightful. But now we need to talk about the important person in this set. Uh, I am always happy when Sung Wong Cho shows up and stuff. I think he's very talented, and it's sort of delightful to see a guy who just started out posting weird videos of him being goofy, singing Let It Go or, you know, Evanescence or whatever, and has made a career out of that. Like, God bless him. <laughs> Doing the good work. Uh, and he's great here. Like, that is life goals right there. Absolutely. Just like, yeah, man, this is great. <laughs> uh, he paid is... to shitpost. I know, right? <laughs> Sung Wong Cho, the only the only good YouTuber. Partially because he's not really a YouTuber, it's just Vine's dead, and that's the most convenient place to post videos these days. Anyways. Uh he is he is delightful as this t- awful little tyrant of a cat king. So a regular cat. Uh <laughs> uh uh, at a point, uh, he is just—he's he, just—he is a perfectly cartoony voice for this character. It is the exact voice that I would want to see come out of this weird little bipedal cat, who is also the ruler of this magic town, and is also clearly out to fleece everybody and everybody that he possibly can. Uh, and just speaks in just so many cat puns, so many cat jokes, all of the cat puns. If if I had more time, I would go through and see if he ever actually has a line that does not have at least one cat pun in it, because they are they are very dedicated to that joke, uh, and I laugh every single time. And uh, Zung Wong just he just I think he just really nails it. Like he gives the exact performance I would want out of a character like this. Uh, just and he also just he, he manages to rattle off these puns very smoothly. It sounds it all sounds very intentional. Uh, and not, like, you know, not to, like, calculate or anything. He makes it sound like actual dialogue, which I feel like with with that kind of gag, that it can be hard to, like, make it sound like something a person, a bipedal cat, would actually say. Uh, so I'm just impressed all around. Uh, I'm, uh, my only, re- my only complaint is that he, Lord Majesty, is, like, in three episodes, I think? Uh, and I could definitely stand... Yeah, I, like three or four. Yeah, I could definitely stand for more of him being around, even if it's just to pop up and remind somebody that they owe him an astonishing amount of money. And they better pay up soon, or else. Uh, just... <laughs> Me and my girlfriend are having a conversation about how, uh, when you get down to it, royalty and the mob aren't really that different. And, uh, Ma- Master Lord Majesty, a prime example. Sure, he's king. 
But he's basically also the local mob boss for the city. And you don't want to cross him either way. Well, I mean, there's a reason why mob boss daughters are called princesses. This is true. Uh, but yes, I, I enjoyed all these performances. They were good stuff. Good side characters. Uh, excellent work. Thumbs up. Nice. Mm-hmm. Hardy? Yeah. Uh, I'll start off with uh, Doug Jackson as Yaga as well. Um... This was one of the characters I actually had to go back because I watched it as it was streaming week to week. So this was over. This was two years ago. So I had to go walk back and and remind myself of some of the smaller characters who I didn't really remember as much. And uh, Yaga's not in there for a whole lot. I think he really only gets two, maybe three episodes to himself. And um, but he sounds like the perfectly acceptable. Uh, old curmudgeon of a of a uh, of a mentor, like the Yoda of the of the series, and uh, he sounds perfectly fine. Um, he definitely sounds like a grumpy old man, grumpy little old man, for sure. Uh, regarding Melba and Pops, here is a thing: could that be one of their or both of their curses? Like, that is my assumption. Yeah. Like, we don't know if Pops, if they somehow melded together or or what. They practice, I don't, I think Melba mentions that she doesn't really practice a whole lot of magic. But she knows a few things, if I recall. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. So, anyways, um, Melba is just this bright little ball of sunshine, always positive, this sort of Pollyanna-like optimism, um, wants to support everything, uh, that Seth and Doc and Melee, um, are set out to accomplish, and, um, always positive, always bright, and she just sounds very sweet and cute, um, as opposed to her hand puppet of a father, who is just sort of controlling, like, get your hands off of my daughter. That sort of kind of dad voice that we've all had to listen to at least once or twice in our lives. He's just, mm-hmm. he's very overprotective, and he's very, very close to his daughter, literally. <laughs> so. <laughs> Boy, yeah. this Midori Days remake got weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Instead of having tits on your hand, you have Dr. Robotnik on your hand. <laughs> so he looks like a little Dr. Eggman hand puppet. I mean, I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. That doesn't mean I'm going to approve of that statement, but it is correct. <laughs> yes, just because it's right doesn't mean I should say it. That's true. <sighs> but yeah, I have to agree with Amon that the real highlight here is definitely Sung Won Cho as Master Lord Majesty because of if you, it just goes to show how vast his vocal range is. Because in the re, most recent games he's been played, he's been cast as sort of the big muscly character, like Vasaraya in um, Vasaraga in Grand Blue uh, Fantasy Versus, the big, huge, scythe wheeling, muscled up masked guy who looks crazy, who looks scary, but is actually really, really nice. He plays that guy. And then to hear him come back and play someone like 
Master Lord Majesty, it's just like huge difference in vocal. It's like a vocal whiplash almost. And so, yeah, he's just, he doesn't pop up enough. I think he shows up a little, well, he doesn't really show up much in the uh, in the second season either. But uh, every time he's around, it's a treat. Nice. Oh, sorry, did you have a little more? No, I'm done. Okay. Um, so I think I'll start with Yaga as well. Um, he is just... Doug Jackson plays this beautiful curmudgeon of a character. Like, he is just... He wakes up every morning and he drinks his grumpy juice. And it is just... He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to do anything. Least of all, get into danger with some kid he met. That some person he is absolutely mortified of told him to train. Like, it's... His interactions with Seth are... Absolutely fun. I also kind of like Doug Jackson's voice, and I like to hear him in things. Um, he sort of has that... That sort of upper end of middle age grit to his voice. Like, and that's... I feel like that's something you don't... Like, that particular age range is something you don't get too, too much in anime voice acting. So I like it. And I like the performance. It is very comedic when it needs to be. Serious when it needs to be. It's just fun. Which I can also say about Sikiwaba and Sunny Strait as Melba and Pop. They are an absolutely great comedic duo together. Uh, Melba is just an absolute ray of sunshine. And just... She wants to shower her friends with support. That is that is the character. And it is so pure and you want to protect it. Just like Pop. Uh, who is just this... In a different sense than Yaga, he is also that sort of middle-aged, disgruntled... But instead of being, like, the disgruntled teacher who has to show some kid the ropes, he, he's a disgruntled dad trying to protect his daughter. He's the shotgun dad. <laughs> like, I... I once had a friend, and... In the middle of a long, a long car trip home, he talked about, oh yeah, so when I get older, I want to be the kind of dad who invites, <laughs> who invites the, um, the guy my daughter's into over, and he's just like, so, you want to date my daughter as I'm loading a shotgun. <laughs> that... That is how I see... That is how I envision Pop. And Sunny Strait is just perfect for that. Um, my favorite moment with him is... Um, it's after the arc in Rumbletown. Sort of the... Um, sort of the palate cleanser arc after everything has ended. It's like four episodes at the end of the series. Um, the character Doc has been turned into a child... And 
needs a diaper change. And at first he thinks Melba's gonna do it, and he's happy. But then, he, then Pop's just like, yeah, I have years of exter- experience with this. Stand back. I'm gonna rub that clean. Ew. <laughs> like, I cringed, but at the same time, that was an absolutely hilarious delivery. Uh, and now I guess this brings me to uh, Sung Won Cho as Master Lord Majesty, which I have to say, it is... It feels like a very beautiful tribute to Matty Blaustein's performance as Meowth in the original Pokemon dub. Oh, now, now that I think about it, you're right. You're not wrong. That's I, I didn't notice that either. That's astute. Like, it doesn't sound exactly like it, but there are little nuances that I kind of picked up on. Um, I mean, also, the vast, vast amount of cat puns Master Lord Majesty lets out in any given minute, uh, that's not a part of Meowth's performance in either dub, but it is a part of this character that is just absolutely, I just want more of it. I just, if Sungwon Cho wanted to devote an entire video to just making random cat puns in the middle of conversations just to see if people would notice. Like that, I I, I would love that so much. Just sort of do the Super Troopers thing. Where he's just like, oh yeah, what do you want to do right now? Like that, that would be fun. Um... And yeah, like Hardy was saying, um, Sung Won Cho's range is insane. Um, he's playing Master Lord Majesty, which is sort of a, a higher higher pitch voice, but then he's also characters like Flack in Borderlands 3, which is uh, similar to the character Hardy was describing. Just a big, bulky character. Um... I think they're a robot, if I recall correctly, but I, I could be wrong. But yeah, um, all four of these were great, and I can't wait to get started with Season 2, because I decided to put off watching Season 2 entirely until I could manage to get this episode out, <coughs> um, just so that I can make sure that everything I talk about is strictly regarding Season 1. But yeah, good stuff. I I hope to hear more of all four of them. Okay. Uh, so next... Oh, I'm sorry? No, sorry. Okay. Ah, okay. Uh, so next up we have members of the Inquisition. Sort of a... An anti-sorcerer force that deals not only with the nemesis, but sort of Magic users who have gone wrong. Sometimes also magic users who haven't gone wrong, but... Better safe than sorry, right? Eh. They're, they're X-Men's equivalent to, like, the Sentinels. Only they're not giant robots. Yeah. Except they have powers that kind of function like giant robots. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yes. No, the, the Inquisition, <laughs> instead of use having magic themselves, they use magical items. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And I think they call them in the course of the over the course of the show miracles as well. Right. <laughs> uh, so first, first off, for these characters, we have Dragonov. Um, he is basically an iconoclast within the Inquisitors. Uh, his men ad- absolutely adore him, and he is absolutely one of the best bosses within the organization. Um, his main arc is in Rumbletown, where he is sent to investigate allegations of basically letting a, a nemesis run amok. And you also have Torque, who is the leader of the Inquisition. Um, he's got a very cool sword that can make it so that you can't use Fantasia ever again in a in a limit cuts. And Piodon, a mysterious hooded character who, like Seth, has a pair of horns as his, as his curse because he's also a sorcerer. Um, the show is kind of ambiguous as to whether or not that's kept a secret. Um, oh yeah, he's Seth's brother as well. <laughs> as you learn at the end of the story arc. Dun dun dun. Uh, so, Dragonoff is played by Ivan Hasso, Torque by Ray Chase, and Piodon by Rico Fajardo. Uh, Ivan Hasso hasn't done a lot of work for Funimation. Um, I think he and Caitlin Glass worked together in theater more than anything. Um, he plays Bernardo Dion in Garo the Animation. Kyosuke Kuga in Princess Red Alternative. And Jean Alking... Wow, that is a very complicated name. Um, Let me try that again. Jean Alkinix in Alderaman on the Sky. Uh, Torque is played by Ray Chase, who you would know as Keith Flick in Be the Beginning. Bruno Bucarati in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind. And the king of simps himself, M, in Sword Art Online Alternative, Gun Gale Online. Uh, Piodon is played by Rico Fajardo. You would know him as Leon Luis in Gar the Animation. Taiju Oki in Dr. Stone. And Daisuke Shima in Star Blazers 2199. Alright, Amon. Floor is yours. Oh, let's see... Uh, <coughs> bless you. Uh, I'm gonna start with Piadon. Uh, I, I will, I will confess up front, uh, I, my, my review episodes did have a lot of Piodon in it. Uh, but what I do remember, like, who played him? Rico. Uh, Rico played it, he did a good job. He had a very, kind of trickstery quality almost about him, which I liked. Uh, Viodon is very clearly a character who knows a lot more than he's going to let on or tell anyone, because why should he? And also, maybe it's a good idea to keep some of this under his hat for the time being. Um, I did like, but I did enjoy his performance, and I do think, uh, a, a weird thing I've come to appreciate in dubs is when you have siblings and you cast actors who plausibly sound like they could be related. Uh, and I do, I do think they, they did a, they did enough of that here. I feel it's a little... 
it's it makes a little more sense if they don't if they don't sound like immediate relatives here just because you know yes they're related but Seth doesn't know that. <laughs> um, no, I thought I, I enjoyed his performance. I thought it was it was well done. Uh, it, I get the impression Piedon is going to show up more often in the future, so I'm definitely going to see to get to see more of Rico perform this character, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that was it was a lot of fun. Uh, Rechase's Torque. Uh, this is funny to me because for like the past two months, me and my girlfriend have been playing through Final Fantasy XV, where Rechase plays the lead character, uh, who is like a 22-year-old prince who's in way over his head. And it is funny to me that Rechase can voice. Boy, that man has range on him, doesn't he? Ooh. Uh, I like him a lot as Torque. He has that great like baritone rumble. Uh, that a, a a character like this should definitely have. He just he never even before you see him, he just sounds imposing. It's like a brick wall got up and started walking towards you, explaining how he is going to punish you because you're you're a bad sorcerer and look what you've been doing here. Tisk tisk. Uh, it's just it, there's so much weight behind his voice, which I think really works well for how the character, uh, like, just how he is, and especially, like, how his actions play out, especially once you hit the, uh, Rumbletown arc. Um, it's a lot of fun. Maybe fun's not the right word, but it's really well done, and, uh, enjoyed it. But I want to say my praises for, uh, I want to say my praises for this section for Ivan. Uh, Dragonov's great. And I love his performance. I am I am sad to learn that this is one of these actors who's like been in a lot, just a lot of things I haven't watched uh, because he absolutely uh, should be in more things. Uh, he is so good at play. <laughs> it's like the first episode where uh, I think um, what is it? I think Doc's like begging with him. It's like please let us go, and he's just sitting there drinking, and he's like, no, I will not. <laughs> Drinking his wine through a straw. Exactly. <laughs> which is which is such which is such a, a a specific form of trashy that I cannot help but appreciate it. Uh, he he plays his character so very well. It's like you, you you listen to his performance and it's like I completely understand why Dragonov, despite being such a like weird iconoclast among his peers, is like I completely understand why his crew is so loyal to him. Uh, he is so just distinctive, and he just bleeds cool the whole time. It's like, yeah, this is the guy. Yeah, I understand why people want to follow you. You're a cool guy. Uh, it's also just fun to uh, later on. Uh, he he encounters the the guy in charge of Rumbletown, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, and it's just fun to see him just sit there and just be intimidating. Just to like, you know, yeah, you know, some people are going to be coming by. It'd be a shame if they found something, wouldn't it? Anyways, have a nice day. Bye. Uh, he, he just, he, he, I think Ivan just really nails that well. Like, he feels, he is, he is, he is some of the best casting, I think, in this show. He absolutely nails this character. Uh, and, you know, if he is, in fact, a stage actor, I know, you know, depending on their schedule, uh, sometimes they don't go as much into the voice acting stuff just because they're busy being a stage actor. Uh, but if he has the time, I hope he shows up in more Funimation stuff in the future. He is a delight. Uh, and he, I feel like as far as some of the lesser-known actors in the show go, he feels like kind of the, you know, MVP of that group. Just like, yeah, this is great. I, I love this. Um, Hardy? Yeah. 
Uh, I did not realize we were going to be discussing P.O. Dan. Neither did I, actually. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a last-second edition. So, yeah, I did watch the episodes in which he and Seth uh, sort of have their their little chat together. And um, because he, I can't really, I didn't really form an opinion because I didn't know we were going to be talking about him. But as far as a Rico performance, a Rico performance, Rico Fajardo performance goes, um, yeah, it's fine. Uh, he doesn't really stand out, but it works. Um, probably we'll be seeing a lot more of him in the future if a season three ever shows up, because not only do you have Seth and Piodan, you in second season two, you have the third brother as well. So there's another one. Yeah. God, this is the X-Men. It's the fucking Summers Brothers all over again. <laughs> yeah. Is their dad going to come back from fucking space? <laughs> is their dad been a space pirate the whole time? Yeah. And the third brother, <laughs> believe it or not, the third brother is voiced by Johnny Young Bosch. <laughs> oh. I see so. somebody's, somebody's having fun here, I see. Yeah. But that makes too much sense. <laughs> it really does. Anyways, yeah, I don't really have much to say about Rico as Piodan, um, but it was fine. Raid Chase's Torque. Almo, you brought up that you find it hard that he's able to voice like a 22-year-old, uh, like, narcissistic prince like Noctis, right? I find it strange that I'm technically four years older than him. <laughs> <laughs> And he's able to make it some a character sound like they're in their late forties or so early sixties. It's unreal. His like again, I've been incredibly impressed with Ray Chase's range ever since we heard him in, in Fairy Tale as the villain, which was that's some voice acting black magic. If you if you've ever heard if you haven't watched Fairy Tale Dragon Cry yet, um, but yeah, no. It, Torque is no no exception to just how impressive his range is because he makes him sound like a ten ton semi staring down at you with its headlights on full blast. If that makes any sense. No, it does. There, there. It's like, hey, what if Optimus Prime wasn't evil, but maybe a little more of a hard ass? Right. If yeah. If Optimus Prime was a drill instructor. Exactly. Yeah. There we go. Right. But yeah, no, I just I think he does he does great and I'm glad that Caitlin was able to cast him in this, consider he's more of a LA actor, not as much of a not as much of a Dallas actor, but at this point it doesn't really matter because they're all recording from home anyways. So there is no reason for anyone not to be in any dub outside of union issues. So go crazy, directors. Go go nuts. But again, I think that the, of this group, the standout has definitely Ivan Hasso as uh, as Dragunov because he's because Ivan is uh, he is um, Hispanic. He's got this very distinct uh, accent to his voice, and it always shows up and adds this extra little touch to it that sort of makes. Dragonuff sort of sound I don't want to say anything it makes him sound 
like he's got this extra little bit of of uh, well, not, I don't want to say whimsy, but I mean just elegance to everything he says, and the fact that he's so laid back and that he takes care of his men, he cooks for them, he treats them all right, and and he sips his wine through a straw, and and he takes none of Conrad's shit, and he's just he's just a delight to listen to, um, and I I do like. I do like how his his accent is so distinct that in season two, Ivan had to skip a few episodes and Ian Sinclair um, recorded for him. And in Ian's performance, he brought out that exact, he tried to replicate that exact accent because it was so integral to the character. So I don't think he would have sounded, I don't think I would have liked this character as much if he didn't have the Yvonne Hasso voice. It was just phenomenal. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like Almond and Hardy, I'll start with uh, Rico as Piodon. Um, you know, not a lot to it yet. Um, it, from my understanding, Piodon plays a little bit of a bigger role in Season 2, and then if it goes beyond, he plays a big role in the arc that's going on right now. Um, I do like sort of the playful nature that he had in trying to get Seth to recall some of his past memories that have apparently been held from him. I also sort of like the moral ambiguity he gives. Because it's not exactly clear why he's helping Seth. Why he's motivating him to figure out what he wants out of life. And I I have to really hand it to him to for making Piodon such, such a mysterious presence throughout the back quarter of the show. Uh, and Ray Chase's torque. He's just a brick wall. Uh, built solid. Can ac- absolutely wreck a dude. Uh, and his subordinates are also really cool, though we're not really talking about them tonight. Um, they are really intimidating, very powerful. Uh, good stuff. We do at least have to mention the old guy voiced by Kit Williams who controls like a giant like laser version of himself. Yeah, it's like a giant laser kaiju and it's absolutely badass. But it looks like him. Like it's a giant version of him. I love this show. It's a giant laser kaiju. Um, but Ivan Hasso as Dragonov is probably one of the standouts of the entire series. Uh, he does have a very whimsical sense to himself. Um, And I like that he does get quite a bit of benefit from the script writing in that he gets to do a lot of wordplay. Like there... I'm, I'm trying to recall the exact line, but in one of the early episodes, he's doing laundry and his coat gets caught by the wind. And he has to catch it, and then he makes some sort of 
really clever pun, and I'm just like, that is cool. And then his, just about all of his interactions with Conrad, where he's just, he's just a smug bastard holding all the cards. It's great. Because he knows shit's about to go down. He wants to tell Conrad shit's about to go down, and he's about to go down, but he holds back. And it's just, it's just great wordplay. Um, Yvonne does such a great job with Dragonov. Um, like I said, it's, it's one of the standout performances of this show. I, I actually really, really like it. Um, so in terms of the Inquisitors, thumbs up all around. So next up, we have the major players in the Rumbletown story arc in the back half of the show. Um, Hamelene is... Hamelene is a sorceress. Uh, she, along with a couple of others, were captured as children and used as an experiment to create Nemesis Hunters by the Inquisition. Um... She ends up escaping alongside them from the prison in which they are kept, but it turns out to be a trap, and they are all killed except for her. Uh, so she returns to Rumbletown many years later and tries to enact revenge by knocking the entire city out of the sky. She also has control of Nemesis. Yeah, she also has control of a bunch of mice-like nemesis. Fitting that her name is Hamelin. Mm. It's in a direct reference right. to the Pied Piper. Uh, because it should also be mentioned that her weapon of choice is a flute. A spear flute? That happens... Oh yeah, there's, there's also a knife in the flute. <laughs> and it comes out of the area where the, where the air comes out. It, it's weird. Hmm. James Bond, James all... Bond gadget, <laughs> and she also keeps all of the all of the mice nemesis in the scroll. It's really badass. Um, Todd is okay. So to properly explain Todd, I have to sort of explain the Rumble Town arc. Let's do it. Um, you have Conrad who is an Inquisitor who is in charge of the city. Um, he doesn't like immigrants. And he doesn't like sorcerers. So he uses elaborate plots to try and not just drive them out of Rumbletown, but kill them all. He's very genocidal. This is where the politics show up, people, just so you know. Right. Uh, yeah, this show has a very hardline stance that uh, people who are not a fan of immigration generally not good people. <laughs> Just to put this into perspective, Conrad's nickname for himself is literally The Wall. Yeah. Little bit on the nose there. Yeah, you think. S subtlety? Am I politics? Am I anime? I think not. 
so how does this relate to Taj? Hmm. Um, Taj is a child of immigrants who encountered the one of the nemesis that Hamelin had under her control. He ends up getting cursed. Uh, his curse comes in the form of purple snot that comes out of his nose. Uh, not clear if he has magic yet, but by the end of the Rumbletown arc, he does express interest in coming to uh, to Artemis to learn to see if he has magic. Uh, so that now brings us to Conrad, whom, like I said, is in charge of the city, trying to kill basically all the immigrants. Uh, has a plan that basically... Wipes out a whole bunch... Had it gone right, it would have wiped out a whole bunch of people along with them. And they... It, Seth hot mics him, basically. It, it's... Oh no, I'm sorry. Hamelin is the one who hot mics him. It's, it's a strange arc. Mm-hmm. But it has lots of punching stuff, too. Oh, absolutely. All the punchy stuff. Oh, the fights are wonderful. Fights are the major highlight of this show. Yeah, Seth's entire entire approach is just punch the fuck out of it. Right. Uh, so in any case, um, Hamelin is played by Trina Nishimura. Uh, Taj is played by Danny Chambers. And Conrad is played by Patrick Seitz. Uh, Trina Nishimura, you would know as Mikasa Ackerman in Attack on Titan. Uh, Mori Illustrious... Min- Mari Illustrious Mikanami in Rebuild of Evangelion. Uh, basically, 2.0 and 3.0. Uh, Kyokajiro in My Hero Academia. Uh, Danny Chambers has played Chisei Hattori in The Ancient Magus Bride. Fi-Fi in Endro. And Babylon in Infinite Dendrogram. Uh, Patrick Seitz has played... Sort of appropriate for... The character he plays in the show, Ira Gamagori in Kill a Kill. He's also played JP in Redline. And because Amon would never forgive me if I didn't mention it, <laughs> he plays Wolfgang Grimmer in Monster. Yes. You may expect of you have you may have expected a different voice actor. But it was I, Patrick! <sighs> oh yeah, he also played DM. <laughs> kind of important there. He's he's very good at playing just real nice swell guys and also just the worst. Uh, case in point. <laughs> Do you want me to start? Yeah, why don't you go ahead? Right, I, I will in fact leave Patrick for last, but um, let's see down the line. Uh, Danny Chambers I enjoyed as Taz. Taz like uh, you know Taz is mostly it's a little kid role. Um, but I, I, I thought she got some good pathos out of him. Like, this this whole arc is kind of weird to see just because... Uh, not that, you know, there's plenty of political manga, but I feel like I don't usually see shonen-type stuff that's this, like, aggressively blunt about its political stance. Especially when it's not like, hey, uh, maybe anti-immigration rhetoric is explicitly bad and we should stop that. Maybe Maybe that's a bad thing to do. Uh, and it's, right. it's it's interesting. I don't re- I, back when we thought we were going to record this earlier. I had done some kind of research on like how France deals with immigrants, uh, which I don't remember very well. But um, these are some opinions Mister uh, Mister Tony has here with regards to how France deals with its own immigration issues. But uh, 
I, I did like how Taj was written as kind of like this, uh, just like, they're very, like, they're very relatable. They have this, you know, you know, they're cursed, but it's very like, they have purple snot. The most, just the most innocuous thing in the world. They're literally a snot-nosed kid. Uh, I just like Danny's performance of them as somebody who seemed very normal, but had to deal with just this external pressure that they did not ask for and don't really know what to do with. And then their sort of turn of like, you know, if, you know, I, I don't want to just sit on my hands while all this is happening. I want to stop what's going on and not just be passive. Uh, I, I really liked her performance as a consequence. I thought she, she played this character really well during this, like, what ends up being just, like, this really, like, intense, kind of status quo shifting, like, plot arc? Uh, you know, kudos to the show, I think it made a wise decision to look at this, and it's like, okay, if we're not ending the season on this, this should still be, like, the last big arc we focus on before, you know, the last episode. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed what she brought to the character a lot. Uh, uh, Trina's Hemeline is great. Hemeline's a lot. <laughs> Uh, she, you know, before when she first gets introduced, she's more, you know, sort of mysterious, maniacal villain, and I just really enjoyed her performance there. She has so much just spite and venom in her. Uh, and I think Trina just does a really good job of bringing that out and focusing it. Uh, like, you know, initially she, she starts out as very much a mystery, but I think even a few episodes after um, she's introduced, you get a much better sense of, like, oh, I see what's driving this person. I see, I see why they are so angry at the world. Uh, and then later, when she gets into like her more one-on-one -on -one conflict with Seth, I thought she, like she, I thought she just really brought that that aspect of the character out well, as well. Uh, just just sort of like the pathos and the pain and kind of her, uh, like you know, her complicated feelings about meeting Seth, who has also experienced this exact same kind of prejudice, but has come out of it very differently due to like him having support while he was going through this, as opposed to Hamline, who had to basically... Hamlin, who basically had to, like, deal with it on her own. And it's left her in a... maybe a worse-off state, in some ways. Um, but I, I, I really... And I thought Trina... I thought Trina just gave a really strong performance in that regard. Um, you know, this character doesn't... You know, she's there. She's a pretty big character for, like, that arc. Um, and I thought she just covered the character really well while she was on screen. And now Patrick as Conrad. What a piece of shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> like uh, to to circle back around to the writing step because it didn't occur to me at the time. It is especially cuz like especially in the years since this came out, it is sort of wild to see them just take like, you know, you know, rhetoric I have 100% heard like Fox News anchors say and just put into the mouth of like this guy and his lackeys. It's like, yeah, this is this is this is very explicit what's going and Patrick to his credit like he he brings it like he knows exactly how to make this guy sound you know commanding because of his position but also just loathsome like he is you know he has that like you know he has that strong you know baritone that Patrick Seitz is so good at bringing to his villains but this isn't like Dio where even when he does shitty things he's still kind of cool Conrad's just awful uh, and I think I think Patrick really knows how to thread that needle of making him, you know, see impressive in a nominal sense because of you know oh, he's a big tough guy he can do all this cool stuff in theory, uh, but he's just such an awful human being and you never feel you, he never see he never comes off as like 
you know, fun or cool or, like, you can kind of revel in his badness. He's just the worst. Uh, and I think and I think Patrick, like, really knows how to, you know, we've seen my hero. Patrick clearly knows how to deal with a, a just a real piece of work of a dude. But um, here I think he just he does it again. It's just, like, yeah, just, like, I, I hated this guy. <laughs> He's so awful. <laughs> If, um, if I if I could pick, uh, segue into uh-huh. Conrad, I think that's what makes Ivanov or Dragunov even cooler. Oh, absolutely! Because they're back and forth, and 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 how they go back and forth, and how Dragunov just sort of just makes him look like this like this blatant idiot. And um, because you're right, he is this big scary dude who could do all these all these things, but at the end of all, oh, he's just an, a bigot. An idiot bigot. You expect him to wear a red MAGA cap sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if the hat fits. Yeah. Needs to cover up his bald spot anyway. <laughs> but if I could segue into... Do you have any more thoughts? Uh, no, no, I like I, I like I enjoy these performances, and Conrad is the worst. By all means, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think the fact that that Patrick has played so many, you know, muscle bound douchebags in the past, he's he just slips into this role just like a glove. And the only time you never think Conrad is cool, the only time you laugh when he's on screen is at his expense because. He has no redeemable qualities, and so when it during his arguments with Dragunov, just seeing him get demeaned and talked down to, and just come across as this racist piece of crap, um, it's enjoyable because it just there you, you have no feelings of regret of seeing of Conrad just get dragged, and even when he's his big, his big fight with Seth. Uh, he, when Seth rips his uh, his uh, mustache off, <laughs> and he's been reduced and wears it. Yeah, he's been reduced. He's he starts out at this big bulky dude, this huge suit of armor. Eventually, he's reduced to shirtless, hairless, and mustacheless, and he's just like he he's a giant baby. I just realized it. He is a giant muscle bound baby. <laughs> And then up until his final moments when Seth smashes him and he's like, I am the wall. This can't be happening to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Patrick just just steals the show uh, playing such a piece of garbage. So um, as far as Taj is concerned, I think this is one of it wasn't it definitely wasn't Danny Chambers first role. That was that was uh, Ancient Magus Bride. I think this is one of her first roles playing a young child character, a young boy. And I think she does a very w- good job. She's got she adds that extra little bit of rasp to it, that sort of prepubescent uh, accent that uh, that the little boys tend to have. And and she just she makes Taj just this well-meaning but kind of irritable little character. He's like, I don't, I'm not cursed, I don't have a cold, while he's spewing out purple snot. So, uh, she was fine, she was great. Um, 
I don't really have much to say about Taj as a character, though. Uh, as far as Hamelin is concerned, this isn't the first time I've heard Trina Nishimura go full crazy, but she's really good at going full crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, uh, it's, I think she's a master at her art, at these sort of, these loud, shouting, angry, you know, furious at the world, you don't know what I've had to go through, you know, how dare you, I will make them pay, if you're not with me, you're against me, sort of characters. We've seen them all the time in anime, but, uh, and she has done quite a few, and I think she's very, very good at her craft. So, yeah, that's all I really have to say. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I actually think I'm going to start with uh, Trina and Hamelin. I guess it it's right there in the name. Um, Trina absolutely hams it up. Ah. <laughs> I had to go there. Um, I, I loved it. Um, just because when you're first introduced to Hamelin... Um, she's this absolutely calm, collected, the, the mice nemesis in Rumbletown are basically, like, family to her. Because that was basically all the family she had after everything went down. Um, and then as you get to the arc and, through the arc and the big reveal that she is in fact orchestrating everything, including Conrad's eventual downfall. Uh, and she just goes absolute... She takes it up to 11, and it's... It is absolutely great, especially when she fights Seth. And she's... Her personal philosophies and his collide head-to-head, -head, and it's... Like, it, it was absolutely bone-chilling. Uh, and then... She later turned around to sacrifice herself to save Seth and um, and her nemesis family. Uh, it it actually did bring a tear to my eye right before the you know the alternate ending sequence with the flute that just is scientifically designed to rip your heart out and stomp on it in front of you. I also like Danny Chambers' Taj. And that's interesting, because I might be wrong here, but it is the first time I've heard Danny Chambers play a boy. Like, an actual little boy. Um, it, it's something that, given past performances, I knew she could do, but it didn't seem like she got the opportunity to do so until Radiant. And I thought she did a great job with it. Um, Taj is a little gremlin at first. Um, he's very grumpy. He doesn't want to actually get involved with Seth and, you know, help them figure out what's going on with the mystery of the nemesis in Rumbletown. Um, but is reluctantly thrust into the, into the job and... Then later on, during the fight with uh, with Seth and Conrad, he's enlisted into action to open a gate that would let everybody run to safety. I think 
Danny Chambers did a great job with all of the uh, all the little nuances and all of those moments with him. From, you know, his first encounter to actually being brave enough to run through Seth and Conrad's fight in order to release a gate. Like, I, I thought that was good. And, you know, Patrick cites as Conrad. There is one thing I'm really glad Caitlin Glass didn't do with this performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been very easy to play off Conrad as, like, a Donald Trump pastiche. <laughs> it would have been absolutely simple to do, and I'm glad she... That would that... Whether it was her or it was Patrick Seitz, or whether the, the conversation of even doing it even came up, but I'm glad there was restraint to not do that kind of thing. That would have been awful. Ooh. Um, Conrad, in and of himself... Sounded like a pastiche of, like, a Fox News anchor, as, um, as you put it, Amon. Um, it, it didn't need that extra bit, and I'm, I'm glad they didn't go for it. Um, that being said, uh, Patrick Seitz plays the big, burly brick wall very, very well. He has done it so often in the past, as, as I happened to mention with, uh, Gamagori. And it's great that, as intimidating as he is, he is basically rendered second banana to Torque when he finally shows up. Um, also, his interactions with Dragonov are just chef kiss. Um, all that wordplay and banter, absolutely beautiful. Um, so, obviously, very solid thumbs up all around on these three. Alright, and next up we have Seth's Traveling Party. Uh, Melee is a young girl who Seth encounters on his way to Artemis. Uh, She's captured by the Inquisition. And he sort of helps her escape and she ends up joining him. Uh, Her curse is a little, shall we say, unique. Um... While Melee is ordinarily a very kind and gentle young girl, um, her curse developed a split personality within her. She's basically Radiance Launch from Dragon Ball. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, First personality, as I mentioned, is very kind, very gentle. Uh, the curse's alternate personality is this very brash, abrasive, sort of gung-ho personality. Um, and while the, the kind and sweet personality uses binding magic, um, the curse personality is basically just all destruction all the time. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Now, Doc, on the other hand, um, he is cursed, but is unable to use magic. Uh, So instead, he focuses his attention on basically being a mechanical engineer. Um, He is very averse to collecting debt, especially toward Master Lord Majesty. 
Um, he is very, he very much has a huge crush on Melba, um, and can't get through the iron wall of pop. And, um, when his curse activates, um, his, his body shrivels up and dies, and he basically pops out of the stomach as a baby. Being Doc is suffering, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> you're, for, you're forgetting one thing that you have very much in common with him, uh, Roots. Oh, yes? Yes. The man loves oh. his coffee. Oh, boy. Yep. Um, he also developed a taste for coffee to, uh, to get closer to Melba. Um, even though Melba is notoriously horrible at making coffee. No, her coffee is good. She's notoriously bad at making herbal tea. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, and now the final entry in Seth's party, um, he joins at the end of the end of the first season, uh, Grimm. Grimm is a very enigmatic presence within the Rumbletown arc. At first, it's assumed that he is this malicious being who is capturing people and, you know, doing horrible stuff to them with this coffin that, you know, hands pop out of and drag people in. Um, turns out he was just trying to protect those people. Uh, he happened to know that Rumbletown was, there was a plot to collapse Rumbletown. He was just trying to evacuate people. He's actually kind of a nice guy. Also refers to himself in the third person. It's weird. He's wrapped in bandages, and those bandages form teeth. It's weird. I don't know what to do with this guy. He's kind of cool, though. <laughs> he's apparently got a... If you get into season two, he's apparently got an even big, deep, dark secret. What? Oh, because you gotta have those. I am shocked. Yes. And apparently he has a Frankenstein as a butler. Wait, hold up. What? I'm I spoil you nothing else. Oh, he was already my favorite character because he was a mummy person. I love him even more now. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you drop this on us? Now we gotta go back and watch season God damn now God you do. I was just voting I wasn't gonna have time to watch season two anytime soon, and now it's gonna torture me. <laughs> Forget Doc being me is suffering, clearly. (laughs) In any case, um, Melee is played by Caitlin Glass. Uh, Doc is played by Sean Gann. And Grimm by Eric Vale. Um, Caitlin Glass not only serves as director on the show, uh, she has played Haumea in Fire Force. um, Got basically a small role in Season 1 in a big role in season two. Uh, she's Miho Amakata in the Free franchise, and Winry Rockbell in Full Metal Alchemist. Also, Andrew's favorite pink alien waifu, uh, Mina Ashido, in My Hero Academia. Yes. Uh, now, Sean Gan. I had a little bit of trouble finding a named roles for him, but. Um, he was Naoya Nita in Hakata Tonkatsu Ramens, uh, Manabu Takasaki in Nichijou, 
and Tosku Sano in Prince of Stride Alternative. Grimm is played by Eric Vale. Now, Eric Vale, you would know as Sanji in One Piece. Tamaki Su... I'm going to have a lot of trouble with this name. Uh, Tamaki Tsunenaga in Dead Man Wonderland. And Arthur Boyle in Fire Force. Um, also, not to mention, um, he may or may not eat children as... Um, <laughs> oh, Farid Ther- Bathory. Farid, there we go. Thank yes. you. Yes. I, I had to make that joke at some point during this, show, this episode. Um, so, Amon, what do you feel about Seth's little band of adventurers? They're swell. I'm sorry, I had not realized Eric Vale's character's name. Bathory? Okay. Mm-hmm. I see, some, I see someone else also read a book on serial killers in middle school. All right. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, his boss's name is, last name is Tepish. That show. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, back to the topic on hand. Um, let us start with Grimm. As people who follow me on the internet know, I love skeletons. They're great. Grimm is not a skeleton person. He is a mummy person, but good enough. He's weird and spooky, and he looks like he stepped out of Soul Eater. All good things in my book. Uh, Eric's delightful. I think he he does a good job of being just sort of enigmatic and a little cool and mysterious. And he always refers to Grimm in the third person because he's one of those guys. And thankfully it does not get tedious because uh, Eric Eric's good at uh, doling that out in a way that uh, feels, you know, eccentric and not irritating. Uh, he is a lot of fun. I am delighted. I, I assumed we would see more of him in season two. I am now, I am all sorts of delighted now when I finally get around to watching that. <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands together with glee, right? Oh, my face hurts. I'm smiling so much. <laughs> oh. uh, Eric, Eric, Eric's just delightful. He 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 plays this. Grim is just a he's an odd little character with an odd little arc, and I think Eric does a wonderful job of playing him as you know, he's a little sinister and he's mysterious. And what is he up to? And it turns out, oh, he's a nice guy. He just doesn't bother to explain anything, and also he looks like a monster. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, we get you know, our assumptions were understandable. Who are we to think of what you're doing with your weird coffin you keep stuffing people into? Um, delightful. Uh, Caitlin as Millie. Uh, I think she is, she does a wonderful job here. I think, you know, when Millie isn't kind of her normal personality, she is just, what a sweetheart. So bright-eyed and optimistic, and she wants to help people and just, you know, an absolute sweetie. And Caitlin, you know, she's she's good at playing characters like that. Just, you know, upbeat and energetic. Uh, and she is she is just so nice. And then she changes personality. And Caitlin might be better as like angry Melier. She just she she just puts that she puts that right light level of just like, you know, she drops her voice just a little bit and she puts a little more toughness into it, and it comes across so well. Uh, she just does a really good job of making those feel like two sides of the same person. Uh, and she also is just really good at shit-talking people when she's angry. <laughs> just, it's like, oh, oh, you've made her mad. Oh, you're, you're stupid. Well, I'm gonna go hide. Uh, so when the explosion comes, I will not die. Sorry. 
Uh, I'm also a big fan of how her little bird friend just incessantly moons over her whenever she turns into, like, Angry Melly. That's very funny to me. Oh, yes, we, we have to bring up Mr. Boobry, who's voiced by Derek Snow. Doing, who's... Doing... Yeah, um, like, I wanted to include him in this group, but it's it's just, like, animal noises. But, yeah, Derek mm. Snow is a little dragon named Mr. Boobery and it's, Mr. Boobery's adorable and Derek Snow does a great there's, job. There's there's some choice animal noises. I'm a fan. <laughs> Boobery. <laughs> I'm Why a 37-year-old did... man. <laughs> Tony, why did why did you name the dragon Boobry? Boobry's a funny word. I know who reads this. Twelve year olds. Gotta appeal to them. Um Yeah, Caitlin Caitlin's just a delight. I think she does a wonderful job of capturing those two sides of them and um in particular I watched like I rewatched a Chuck of the Rumble Town arc uh, in preparation for this, and I thought especially she has like a a big moment of doubt where um uh, she like she switched personalities and tried to get into a fight that led to, uh, I believe, like sort of the gate shutting and a bunch of people getting trapped. And she has sort of this big moment of doubt of like, you know, if I was able to control this better, I could have got people out and like saved my friends. And her just feeling kind of guilty about like having this power but not really being able to wield it the way she would like to. Uh, and like, I, I think you know, I, Caitlin, I, as very said, I think she does a wonderful job directing, and I think she does a wonderful job with this character. I think she casts herself in a really interesting role that I think really suits her range and acting style. Um, but now I want to talk about Shana, uh, Shauna's Doc because I think Doc is just hysterical. I am I am a weird sucker for cowards in action shows because uh, they don't want to be there and they don't like what's happening and they don't have any choice. They're stuck with it. Hey, Doc, there's a giant plant monster. <laughs> and it wants so coffee. He, in, other words, he, uh, in other words, he's the Paul Giamatti of the show? Actually, in that in that instance, he's the Rick Moranis of the show. But he's ah. also the Paul Gi- he He is both. <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is a number of schlubby actors, let's be frank here. Hmm. Um, he, 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 he knows what he wants to do with his life. He wants to stay out of trouble. He's going to go collect some dead nemeses and sell them. And he's going to stay out of debt. And one day he's going to work up the nerve to tell Melva that she likes him. And Pop's going to be okay with it or something. And it's going to be great. And then he died and turned to a baby. <laughs> uh, it's an, I, I find... I, I, really, I really like Sean's general performance. I like the sort of... Uh, like, you know, New York-y accent he kind of gives Doc. I think it kind of just really hones the sort of, like, you know... Uh, you know, he's maybe not smart, but he's got, like, some, you know, street intelligence. He knows at least how to navigate through life and not, you know, ruin his own life. Uh, Seth may not be very compatible with that attitude, but sucks to be you, Doc. Sorry. You're not the main character. Uh, but especially, like, when he then becomes a baby and is now, like, little Doc running around... <laughs> I just I, I find I find Sean's ability to make him still sound like a incredibly wor- weary thirty something who is now also a twelve year old very entertaining. Uh, he he just ma- he manages to just take that tone and just sort of crank it down a few years. I just like yeah it's still Doc. Uh, is is he hasn't hit puberty yet but it's Doc. Uh, I I just, I find him absolutely delightful. Uh, I don't know if he shows up as much in season two, given that it seems like you know Seth he does. is going off. He, okay, that's good. I'm assuming does, they, yeah. I'm assuming they wouldn't be gone forever, but I know if this is sort of a 
gone temporarily or gone for most of the season kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I enjoy Seth's little camaraderie. I found him I found him sort of leaving to go out on his own very sad at the end of season one because like oh the band's breaking up. No, I like you. You're all weird and interesting and quirky. Uh, they're they're a nice group and they give very good performances and I'm very happy with all of them. Uh, yeah, I I don't I, want, really want to spoil season two for you too much, but there is probably one of the best moments involves the the band kind of breaking up and and sort of reforming. So just look uh, forward to that. More things to look for. God damn it! I gotta have to figure out when to watch this thing now. Shit. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Anyways, yes, they're good. I like them. Yeah, um, let me start off with, uh, let me start off with Grimm, because he doesn't have as much screen time as the other two. Uh, Grimm is just sort of weird, and you think that he's this, this bad guy, but in reality he's just, he's just mysterious, and he's trying to do his best to help out everyone in the background, um... And I think Eric sort of plays that very well because he's played these kind of characters that are very soft-spoken and yet soft-spoken and yet demand attention. I think Yuki Soma is another one of those. Like, Yuki is very soft-spoken, but every time he speaks, he he sort of takes all the attention. He sort of, yeah. And I think a lot of that is in Grimm's performance as well. Like, you want to know more about Grimm, but he's not going to let you at the moment. I think uh, Eric sort of... I think Eric does a really good job at that. Um, Sean Gann as Doc. Oh, boy. Uh, it's. I really want to thank the writing staff on this, especially Aaron Dismuke, because he gives us one of the best lines of any anime ever. Don't eat me. I taste like coffee and disappointment. <laughs> That's a winner. Yeah. And no, when I when I uh, when Aaron Dismute came down to a con, I asked him uh, what was his favorite line, and he said it was that one from from Radiant. Uh, but yeah, no. I keep expecting uh, Doc to just shout out, "Who wants rum ham?" <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he's got a very DeVito like personality to his character. Uh, he just doesn't. He's can always done with the collect. Always done with everyone's shit. He doesn't want any of it, and yet he's constantly thrown in these uh, situations that he does not want to be in, which gets even more so in season two. Sorry, I'm on. No, it's fine. But um, no, he's just he's just so. Ad- so uh, so delightful to listen to as as he as his life is nothing but suffering. I think Sean just with that, that the uh, the New York accent is just mwah, it is perfect. You don't usually like adding accents to characters who don't necessarily need them. Here, I think it definitely works. There is a reason that for last year's dubbies, I gave my best female performance. To Caitlin Glass for Melee. Um, and more so, again, this happens more so in season two. Um, 
it's because you have the two obvious personalities, the sweet and kind and caring Mele, and then the angry, abrasive, uh, conf- confrontational Mele. But then you also she also has a third side. When she realizes, hey, the the band is breaking down, they're not getting back together, and you see her just sort of open up emotionally. That I think Caitlin just captures so perfectly how she's able to play all three of those and swap back and forth between them on a dime. And so I I think honestly, Caitlin's my favorite performance from this entire dub, hands down. Hmm. All right. Um, so, yeah, I think, like you guys, I'm going to start with Eric Bale's Grimm. Um, like, there's not a lot to him yet. Um, from what I've seen, I still need to get to season two and, like, all the lovely bits that Hardy's describing. Um, Sorry, I don't mean to spoil. I'm just... <laughs> no, that actually kind of bump that up in my priority list, so don't worry about it. Um, you know, like like Hardy and Amon were saying, the third person thing could have gotten really old really quick, um, but the clever writing and Eric Vale's performance kind of mellowed that out. Um, I like how sort of monotone he is through most of his dialogue. <coughs> Um, he is deadly serious, um, but at the same time, he feels like that, how do I describe it? That, that chuny character, you know? Oh, he's very chuny. Like that, that middle school syndrome sort of. Like, let's put all of these little badass things together to create this really weird mashup of a character. It's just great. I I love it so, and... Like... Eric Vale just plays him so weird. It... I love it. it it's absolutely fun. Uh, and Caitlin Glass's Melee... Um, I do like sort of. She does a great job with the with the duality of the personalities, like the the really sweet and bubbly melee, and then the really abrasive and violent side. Uh, and then there's the conflicted personality in the middle. Um, I noticed it at at the end of the Rumble Town arc with. Um, with her little breakdown as um, as she accidentally got a bunch of the townspeople trapped and she was having doubts about her powers. Uh, I thought that was really good. And both sides to her also have these really funny moments and it was just great all around. Um, the real standout here to me is Doc and Sean Gann. Um, I say this because not only do you have regular Doc and Baby Doc, you also have Teen Doc. It's sort of the the result of Baby Doc drinking a, a an aging potion and randomly turning into like an 
an early preteen. Um, but you also have Casanova Doc. You have Drained Doc. Where he's basically a husk of a man who is dying and baby's about to pop out of his belly. Kakuin, did you lay that egg? <laughs> um, there are just so many aspects and personalities to this character, and I think Sean Gann, had I really been able to sit down and watch the show end to end as it was airing, uh, particularly the first core that aired you know, as we were getting Dubby set up. Like, I feel like he would have been a very close contender for voice acting Black Magic that year. Like, there is so much to dock, and it is complicated and tricky and so much stuff, and I think he did a really great job with it, and I really hope that in the coming years, um, Sean Gann becomes more and more of a presence within Funimation. Because it sounds like he's doing a little bit of assistant directing alongside Caitlin Glass for stuff. Um, you know, here, and apparently he did some episodes of um, the second season of the Fruits Basket reboot. So I I really hope he gets to do a lot more stuff within the, uh, the infrastructure of Funimation. And that brings us... To our last category of characters, um, we have Seth, a, a sorcerer who has who has a pair of horns on his head. Um, can't really do magic very well. Um, the only attack he has to start with is um, just gathering a lot of Fantasia in his fists that he calls a Titan Punch. That basically does a lot of friendly fire damage in the first episode and causes a lot of trouble. Um, but over the course of the show, you start to sense that there's a little more to him than people are letting on. Um, he has some sort of mysterious past alongside of his brother that will probably be developed later as, as we go. Um, but he, Seth is just raw, unbridled potential in the shape of a human being. And then you have his first teacher, Alma. Um, she lost her arm to a nemesis attack. Uh, she's been raising Seth since he was a very young child. Um, very protective of him. Uh, eventually lets him go to, uh, to Artemis to learn sort of more about his his abilities and then later to okay yeah he he's looking for the land of radiant where the nemesis live and initially he wants to destroy it but at the end of the first season it seems more like he wants to find a way to find an understanding with the nemesis uh but alma is also really powerful um she has a badass polearm weapon. It's great. Uh, so playing Seth is Christopher Lewin Ramirez. And Alma is played by Monica Rial. Uh, Christopher Lewin Ramirez is a relatively new name within Funimation. Um, you would best know him as 
Asahi Shina in the free franchise, starting with the movies and moving through season three. Uh, he has also played Masaki Tanaguchi in Boogie Pop and Others, and Shinobu Sengoku in Ensemble Stars. Uh, Oma is played by Monica Rial. <clears throat> you would know her as Michiko Malandro in Michiko and Hachin, Kaede Kayano in Assassination Classroom, and Miria in Claymore. Um, so, Amon, the floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, let's start with Alma. Um, we talk a lot about how Monica, you know, she has her usual vocal range and then she has her big girl voice. Uh, this... I don't know what to call this. This feels like the oldest character I've ever heard her play, just because Alma has very, um... What's her name? The lady from Yu Yu Hakusho that Linda Young plays. Genkai. She has very, like, Genkai energy. Like, she, she, is, she feels like, oh, you're... Not old, but she has that very, like, I have seen a lot and I'm kind of world-weary and I'm not interested in whatever your shit is today. <laughs> oh, you're gonna- oh, you're gonna try and set my kid on- you're gonna try and uh, set my kid on fire? Well, great, now everyone in your village thinks you're cursed. Have fun, buddy. That's your problem now. Um, but I really- I really like her performance as Alma. I think she really just taps into something fun here. Um, she, like, she just, if nothing else, like, her voice just matches Alma's character design so well. Like, she very much plays into that, like, older, world-weary, has-been-around-the-block, uh, has-been-through-all-this-before. Um, you know, she likes Seth. She's protective of Seth. Seth means a lot to her, but Seth's also kind of a moron. And she's made her peace with that, but she's still gonna give him grief when he does dumb stuff, because if he doesn't know he's doing dumb stuff, he's never gonna get any better about it. Um... She just, and she also just, I don't know, she comes off as very, like, I don't know if cool's quite the right word, like, she is cool, but also just very, like, yeah, you want Alma in your corner. Alma's the wizard that other wizards are afraid of, and for good reason. Or maybe it's just Yaga, who seems like he might just be kind of a scaredy cat, I'm not sure yet. Um, you know, I'll, she has this wonderful presence to her, uh, and I think Monica really just sells that, as far as, like, Alma as being somebody... Uh, you know, she's notable, uh, she feels, you know, you know, uh, my words are feeling me tonight. Uh, not important, but just, like, I don't know, there's, like, weight to what she says and does. Uh, you can tell the fact that, like, Seth, you know, she cares that much about Seth and that, you know, she's willing to, you know, help him out and go on this limb. That feels, you know, notable in of itself, that she's gonna spend her time, like, taking care of this weird kid who can't use magic very well and is a little bit of a screw-up, but he's got, you know, he's a good kid at heart and he's got potential, so, you know, I'm not going to fault him for that. Um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed her performance. It's... I'd say it's one of my favorite Monica performances, but frankly, Monica has enough good performances and I'm not sure I could make a list of what's my favorite or not. It's just kind of like, ah, Monica's in this. She'll be good. Hasn't disappointed me yet. Uh, this is no exception. Uh, but now I'm going to talk about, um, Christopher. Uh, he is great in this. I don't know if this is the first thing I heard him in. It was probably either this or Boogie Pop and others. Uh, but he is great in here. Um, uh, he very much felt like one of the, the, the many, the many Shonen shows that Funimation has done where it's very much like, all right, who hasn't starred in a Shonen show? Let's let them be a protagonist. 
Uh, and this is like, you know, Chris Chris's shot at that. I think he does a really good job. I think he does a good job of selling Seth's you know, enthusiasm and his youthfulness in the ways that he's, you know, you know, brash and inexperienced and, you know, still needs to kind of figure out what he's doing and how he's going to go about doing it. Um, and he, I think he does it in a way that feels very sincere. Um, like, I'm always in Seth's corner, even when he's doing something that's kind of obviously dumb. It's like, Seth... You can't just punch your problems away. That's not how it works. You know, I, I, I want him to, you know, you know, get better and succeed at what he's doing, even though he has this, you know, goal that pretty much everyone he tells it to is like, that is absolutely ludicrous. What are you thinking? That will not work. You will die. Go home. Go home, small child. You go back, go back to your mom. You don't know what you're doing tonight. Uh, and it, he just, he, he captures that so well. He feels so, you know, bright-eyed and sincere. Um, but I, I think he, but he also gives range to the character. I think we have moments where he has, like, doubt or, you know, uh, just, you know, he's concerned about, you know, uh, you know, my friends are in danger or why, why are you, why are you, you know, committing this violence after what's happened to you? And he, he feels like somebody who really captures that aspect of the character where, you know, it's, it's still the same Seth. Uh, you know, he still, like, thinks the best of everybody and wants things to work out okay, but sometimes he has to run into the fact that maybe, you know, uh, his beliefs aren't going to be the solution this time. And, you know, maybe maybe even if he doesn't like what the other person's saying, that doesn't necessarily mean what he's saying is going to work either. Um, I, I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, I, sh I feel like I should actually track down more stuff he's been in, because I between this and Boogie Pop and others, I've really liked what I've heard so far, and I'd like to hear him in more stuff. He's he's clearly got a lot of talent to burn. Uh, and this, there's another instance where I wish this was on, like, you know, TV or... I don't know if it's on, like, Hulu or Netflix, but i like to see it on a bigger platform like that. Uh, this very much feels like something that, a, you know, this is a good, strong performance and kind of thing I wish more people could see easily. It's really good. Okay. Um, Hardy? Uh, I know that Amon was having sort of a hard time coming up with an exact type of voice that Monica was using for Alma. Mm-hmm. I would say the tired ant voice. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. That That's exactly right. right. The, yeah, you had to leave your dumbass kid with your sister for a few weeks and... That's the that's the voice that resulted from it. But anyways, yeah, um, I have heard Monica's big girl voice, and now this is her big old girl voice now. And um, like I said, she she sounds like the kind of tired aunt who who's raise has to raise her own kid, has to raise someone else's kid, and cares for them, but is not going to give them any slack when they're acting like a dumbass. And you can definitely tell that she's got the um, she's definitely got the chops for this sort of character almost just really cool even though she's kind of grumpy okay she's a really she's a lot grumpy <laughs> and, uh, and and Monica's definitely experienced enough as a voice actress to really be able to pull that off um, now for Christopher Llewellyn Ramirez as Seth the acting is going to take some time to grow on me because this is his very first lead uh, main role. 
and giving it to an actor who does not have as much of an experience giving this type of role for a 21 and later 42 episode shonen series was a big gamble and as such i like chris's performance he's definitely got the energy he's definitely put forth he puts forth the effort but the acting still has a little bit of a ways to go I don't know if it's just going to be how he controls the energy of his voice, if that makes any sense. Um, I don't want to say it. I'm not going to say it. This is not a training wheels dub. But I do think he is still just the tiniest bit green. And thankfully, he does improve leaps and bounds uh, as the show goes along. I hope that he uh, continues to improve in the future. But as, as a main character, he might try to have cut his teeth on a shorter series. But that's just me. I do like the energy he gives to Seth. I do like the, the fact that he's always positive or, or in the emotional points to where he has to... Oh, I can't think. <laughs> I can't think. I, my brain is dying. My brain is dead. I've... Ugh. Ugh. Oh. Almost there already. I think, yeah. I think he has room for improvement, but in general, it was a good performance. Um, so I'll start with um, with Monica Rial. Um Yeah, I'm largely going to echo what Hardy and Almond were saying. This, it, I, I definitely like hearing Monica Rial play an older woman. Um, this is probably right, it feels like it's going to be right about at the edge of her, the edge of her range. Um, I have never heard her go so low before, and it impressed me. Uh, performance itself was really solid as well. Um, I, I do think that, yeah, I, I agree with Hardy, this sounds like the, um, the sort of ambivalent aunt voice. Um, she is raising a child she didn't necessarily ask for. Um, trying to keep him out of trouble. Not always succeeding. Uh, and just very, very tired. Um, Christopher Lewin Ramirez as Seth. This one took a little bit of growing on me to do before I could say, you know what? I actually did like this performance. Um, the first episode of the simul dub was really rough. And it took about three or four more episodes before he could find the voice that worked for him. Um, I'm, I'm going to agree with Hardy a little bit that the... The acting side of it still needs just a little bit more fine-tuning. Um, but I think he's got something here, and I want to hear him in more stuff. Um, I think he's got a promising future ahead of him. Uh, in particular, uh, I think the standout moment for me for his performance is um, the end of the fight with Hamelin. Um, after he 
fights her to a standstill. The moment that, um... The moment that Grimm describes as, um... His and Hamelin's Fantasia, in musical terms, acting in harmony. Um, where they're basically just kind of negotiating an accord. And figuring out a middle ground to their opinion. Um, I thought the interaction between uh, Christopher and Trina was just absolutely beautiful. Uh, and then the subsequent episodes after the Rumble Town arc where Seth is doubting himself, I also really liked. Um, it definitely shut him downtrodden, and, you know, that's kind of hard to do with such a peppy character, and I'm... Uh, I think Christopher nailed that pretty well. So, a solid thumbs up with these two. Uh, so we are going to go ahead and I will pass it on to Amon for final thoughts. Uh, like, I really enjoyed this dub overall. I like this show. I think it feels very, <clears throat> you'll get, you'll get sort of, um, obviously this was, this was produced and animated in Japan. It's not strictly like a non, you know, traditional anime product, uh, but you can definitely get stuff in that vein that feels like more or less pastiche. And I think one of the things I enjoy about Radiant is it feels very, uh, like, authentic's not quite the right word, but it never feels like, oh, I'm going to... like It never feels like it's the product of something that's like, oh, I'm going to set out to make, like, a manga in, like, a stereotypical sense. It feels very much like, I'm going... You know, I've read a lot of manga. I like that. I'm going to tell a story in that vein. Uh, and I think it... I think you could feel that in the anime. This feels like something that isn't trying to like, imitate something. It just feels like something that has, you know, taken influences and turned them into something with a little bit of its own spin on it. Uh, and I think the dub really bolsters that. Like, this feels like a really fun show. You know, if you do you like Battle Shonen? Like, you would do yourself a disservice to not check this out. Uh, you know, do you want something to watch with your, like, 10-year-old niece and nephew that has, you know, some good jokes and some fighting and, you know, it's not too racy or anything? This is a great show to watch that with. Uh, and I think, like, overall, the dub's really strong and really well put together, and I'm really enjoying it, and I need to figure out when I can watch season two, because... It seems like it's just more up my alley, which, uh, you know, is always a great thing to learn. Okay. Hardy? You know what Radiant excels at? Because you've got more shonen shows based around magic and sorcery than you can throw a stick at. Shows like Fairy Tales, shows like Black Clover, like Seven Deadly Sins. I think Radiant is the one that has the tightest writing and least amount of unnecessary fan service. <laughs> like, I would not watch Fairy Tale with my 10-year-old. There's far too many mm -mm. boobs. Mm -mm. Yeah. And and I, I, I wanted to mention, I think you brought it up, Amon, is that you mentioned Grimm looked like he came out of Soul Eater. I think the entire show has a very similar Soul Eater type of vibe. And, uh, it's sort, sort of look, yeah. And, um, I really enjoy it. Um, I hope it gets a third season. As far as I know, there's not enough of the Monfra to create a th third season. I think they put it right up to the end of where it ended. Uh, and so, um, 
hopefully it's popular enough to to get us a third season a few years in the future and uh, and yeah I, I enjoyed this show I enjoyed this dub and I highly recommend it to people who like the idea of magic shows but were let down by like fairy tale or black clover give this a shot oh and if you like the x-men and don't mind like blatant political uh references i mean comes with the territory Mm -hmm. uh yeah i'm i'm largely going to agree with hardy and on one here um i thought this was a really fun and actually it it felt kind of unique among the sort of magic-based battle shonen series. Um, I do kind of like that it it only covered two or three story arcs before it took a break and then continued. Um, I feel like that My Hero Academia approach is probably, in my eyes, the proper way to adapt a long-running Shonen Jump-esque series. Um, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Like, you can allocate resources to a smaller... You know, smaller, cover a couple arcs, take a little bit of a break to do other projects, and come back around, do more. So on and so forth. Um... I actually do agree with you guys that this probably would greatly benefit from, like, a television broadcast. I don't know if I would say, like, Toonami. Um, I feel like if they maybe redubbed a couple of lines to remove some of the bad language, um, you could probably get away with something like this on maybe, like, regular Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. Um, I think it would be a great fit for, you know, older anime fans to get their their little brother, their little sister, their niece, nephew, kids into anime. Um, you know, I, I've talked a lot before about, like, the anime starter pack. The, the shows that if you wanted to get a newer anime fan into more anime... This is what you would recommend. You know, your Death Notes, your... Like, back in the day, it was, like, Death Note and, um... Oh, I'm drawing... Bebop. Well, obviously, Bebop is, like, the evergreen. <laughs> um, but stuff like Oron or the original Fruits Basket. Like, stuff to give people a general taste of what they would come to expect from various genres. Um, if you were to actually create a new sort of this generation's anime starter pack, I would say Radiant is probably one of the perfect examples to include. Because this mm. this would look um, good airing right next to uh, My Hero Academia on a uh, block. Mm. Yeah. Like, I could imagine Adult Swim picking this up and putting it at, like, 8 o'clock on Saturdays to draw in the, um, the sort of starting-to-go-to-bed crowd. Um, but I think Radiant is really fun... It does wear its politics on its sleeve, um, so if that's not your thing, probably skip it. Um, but if you're alright with that, and just want an absolutely 
fun sort of Shonen Jump junk food-esque series, I could recommend far worse. Uh, now, if you want, now if you want to check out Radiant, um, this the show was included as part of the um, the Funimation Crunchyroll partnership back in the day. So, if you want to check out the subtitle version, it'll be available on Crunchyroll. And if you want to check out the dub version, that'll be on Funimation. Um, I believe Crunchyroll is like seven bucks a month, somewhere around there. Thereabouts. Uh. And Funimation's, like, somewhere around that line as well. Like, six, seven bucks a month. Um, both of them also have annual plans and free trials. But make sure that if either service isn't your thing, um, make sure you cancel that free trial. Because you will get charged. They do ask for credit card information. So, <clears throat> not your thing. Just make sure you get out of that before it charges you. Um, and if you'd like to catch what we're up to, um, we have our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Podcast. Uh, this podcast is now starting to be made available via audio-only services. Um, we go through Podbean, and it will also be available through Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Um, on that note, um, we do have a coffee account if you want to you know, send a little jingle our way. Because Roots loves his coffee. Um, but also, <laughs> I do very much love my coffee. Um, but if you'd like to give us a little more of a regular contribution, we do have a Patreon page. And this is the point in the show where we, I, we typically like to name off the people who have contributed to our, our little show. So... At the $5 tier, I would like to thank Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands, <laughs> Ooh. and Victor Myborda. Um, at the $10 tier, I would also like to thank Anthony Simpson, B. Morris, Carly Lesakow, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared, Julia W. and Marissa Lenti. We thank you guys so very much for your contributions. Um, and also, I would like to note that at the if you contribute to the $10 tier, every three months, um, we hold a raffle. And all the $10 patrons get to pick a show. And those shows get put together. And we pick one at random. And we'll do an episode on it. Um... A little something to keep in mind. Um, we now we also have a Twitter account where we will keep you up to date on what we're up to. Uh, that is twitter.com slash podcast. Um, we the individual contributors of this show also have their own things they would like to plug. Uh, so Amon, where might we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Amonduel US. Duel has two U's in it. Uh, you can go there and you can see me uh, talk about uh, movies and comic books and music. And I also have a, a dusty old song if you care to have one. Please. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is this this one was very easy. <laughs> uh, so we have here a, a an anime based on a French manga. So what better to choose than a French pop song that's actually by two guys from New Zealand? 
Yes, that's right. My dusty old song for this episode is Fodu Fafa by Flight of the Concords, uh, <laughs> where you get to hear uh, Jemaine Clement badly nice. hit on a woman in extremely basic French. Like, like, like your middle school <laughs> class level French. It is delightful. Oh, magnificent. Um, Hardy, where might we well, find Well, I can you? tell you where you won't find me is the mm-hmm. Funimation forums, because they're dead now. <laughs> Press F to pay respects. Yes, but I am still a moderator on the Funimation Discord, if you'd like to hunt me down there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Spaceman Hardy. I have not been posting nearly as much goat pictures as I need to. Lately, I've just been angry at the world and angry at KFC for giving me coleslaw for two nights in a row. But uh, but yeah, I uh, if you want to track me down there and come suffer with me because I need some I need some company. Misery does happen to love mm-hmm. company. Um. If you would like to find me on the wide open internets, um, I am Roots of Justice, and you can find me on the twitter.com at Roots of Justice. Uh, I mainly retweet cute animal pics, talk general fandom stuff. It's a good time. You should come visit. Um, I also... I am finally, finally working on review stuff. Um, I know I've been saying this for the past... God, year, year and a half. Um, but I do actually have a draft that I am working out. Um, it'll be made available on my blog. Um, the Roots of Justice Anime Time Fun Show. Um, I'll have a link in my Twitter account when everything's ready to go. It's finally almost happening. Happening level. It's. Um, so I believe that's the end of our show. Um,. Thank you all for sitting here for the last two, two and a half hours as we gush about an anime made by a Frenchman. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Or, an, I'm sorry, an anime based on a manga made by a Frenchman. Isn't the future grand? Future... In the year, in the year two thousand, <laughs> in the year two thousand, I can't hit the note. <laughs> Not only La Bamba can. Uh, so, from us at the Dub Talk Podcast to you, the listener, we would like to bid you adieu, CC, and Otaku on that yeah. daba, CC Manjur. Yeah, on Boston, on Chicago. That was awful. I'm so sorry. Bully cuckoo ve avesoa, sesoa. And click. Yes, this is Spaceman Hardy coming in and recording for Barry Ondell, who had to cancel at last notice as the role of Dwarf Shaman. Bitches be like, I, I, you, wow, I. Bitch what? Speak. Spit it the fuck out. What do you want to say? I'm listening. We're all waiting. 
and you're doing nothing. This is nonsense. You can't even use words anymore. Just go the hell outside for once, damn. God damn. Get a job or something. Oh, I never thought I'd die fighting next to such a flask-chested elf. <laughs>